0: Welcome to the Crimes and Dimes podcast, entertaining you with stories about famous financial fraud
1: so that we can decipher where white-collar criminals went wrong. Let's go fishing! So welcome to Crimes and Dimes, I'm Josh Craftick, along with Andrew Saltman, Rob Timbery. and our special guest Dave Ehrenberg, top prosecutor in Palm Beach, is it Palm Beach Gardens? Palm Gardens? I, I, always, I always can't remember.
2: Palm Beach County.
1: Palm Beach County, Florida. And uh, Dave's done a lot of great things for the country and for the state. We would tell you everything he's done, however, that would take the entire duration of the podcast, so we won't get too much into it. But even though that we're on Crimes and Dimes, we're going to talk about cases of financial fraud, and uh, Dave has definitely had a lot of notable ones. Um, Andrew, you have a couple things you wanted to talk to Dave about, right?
0: Yeah, he's the top watchdog, in my opinion, which is you know possibly the most powerful county or community in the country. I mean, two notable ones are the Sober Homes and Mitch Cleo that we kind of chatted about here and how how, do those, how those tie in financially. Were there any financial crimes? Obviously, Miss Cleo, we believe there was. Sober Homes, I've had involvement with Sober Homes over the years. So I'm curious to see. And you, you did a whole 60 minutes. I mean, I saw you come on the TV and you were there. Like you were on 60 minutes for like the whole 60 minutes. That, that was awesome. I was like, yeah, Dave, <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you can kind of, you know, give us some insight, our focus is on financial crimes here and how to avoid it. Or, you know, maybe people are doing financial crimes they don't know or where white collar criminals went wrong, basically.
2: Well, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, as far as 60 Minutes, I was there for uh, one segment. It was the story about this pill mill doctor who we prosecuted and got him like over 100 years in prison. And they interviewed him uh, about his view that he did nothing wrong, even though it was right in the height of the opioid epidemic when the pill mills were so ubiquitous that there were more pain clinics in Florida than McDonald's in Florida, the years 2010 and 2011. And now we're still in the midst of the opioid epidemic, but it's taken different forms. It's now a fentanyl epidemic. And one way we are attacking this problem is by going after the fraud and abuse in the drug treatment and sober homes industries. And you asked me about that, about our work against the sober homes. Well, we have a sober homes task force and the goal is not to go after all sober homes, just the corrupted ones, the ones that are really flop houses masquerading as recovery residences. These are places where they have multiple residents in recovery who live there supposedly in a drug free, mutually supportive environment and they pay out of their own pocket for rent because insurance does not cover the rent. It's just a house. There's no treatment there. But what we have learned is that there were a number of these places that were havens for drug use, human trafficking, and patient brokering, which is pay to play, put a head in a bed and get a commission, and that disrupts the entire healthcare system. When you live at a sober home for free or reduced rent, and in exchange, a sober home owner traffics you to a drug treatment center and gets a kickback in return, well, that's financial fraud. That's insurance fraud. That's patient brokering, and it's all very illegal. And we are the first and only county in the United States that has a task force dedicated to just that type of fraud because it was so endemic in Palm Beach County. And we've largely cleaned it up in Palm Beach County. We've made 119 arrests so far and counting. We're doing more. And the problem has spread, though, throughout the whole country to communities that are less aware of this problem. And so we've opened ourselves to help any community that wants our assistance in dealing with this threat.
0: So I always thought that they go to the treatment center first and then they go to like outpatient recovery. So you're saying it's the other way in
2: some cases? It depends. It could be. So in general, the Florida model of recovery is like this. Someone with substance use disorder goes down to Florida and enters into detox or inpatient care. Sometimes it's both. First detox and then inpatient care. You come down here and if you have insurance, that pays for it. If you don't, you can get it off the Affordable Care Act exchanges. Everyone can get insurance these days for behavioral health problems. And that's been a good thing from the ACA, aka Obamacare, because now you have millions of Americans who now have access to drug treatment who didn't have access before. And so after your insurance runs out for your inpatient care, then you move to an outpatient facility and the outpatient facility does not provide you with housing, but you get group counseling and drug testing and other sorts of help to get through your addiction. And you have to find a place to live, though. Where do you live? You go to a sober home and a sober home is just a house where people live while they're going through treatment and you pay out of your own pocket. And then after your outpatient insurance coverage lapses, after you've gone through enough treatments, then hopefully you're sober and then you go back home. But in reality, you have the Florida model being transformed into the Florida shuffle, which is a corrupted series of illegal kickbacks where everyone gets rich or gets free stuff. And the only part of it that is not profitable is sobriety. There's no incentive to get someone well because under the Affordable Care Act, there's no limitation lifetime or yearly on how many times you can go through this cycle. So every time you relapse, it's covered by your insurance. And so for the good providers, they want to get people well. The bad providers, though, want to keep people in this vicious cycle because they get enriched. The more services they provide, the more money they make because they get reimbursed through the Affordable Care Act requirements on a fee-for-service basis. That's old school, fee-for-service, not an outcome-based reimbursement model, but rather the more services you provide, the more money you make. So for the bad provider, there's an incentive to keep people in recovery. It's a relapse model rather than a recovery model. And so I appraise the Affordable Care Act for helping people get access to behavioral health coverage but also there are excesses that are being exploited by bad actors where they're exploiting the Affordable Care Act to keep people in a relapse model rather than a recovery model where they come to Florida to get well and instead they leave in an ambulance or a body bag.
0: Okay, but you mentioned kickbacks earlier, because that's sort of that's like a financial crime, right? So is that is that what's occurring in some of these like so they're funneling them but they go into the homes first and then they're funneling them into the rehabs? Is that what's going
2: on what happens is under the florida shuffle the yeah. which we call it which is the bastardization of the florida model of recovery you have a marketer who gets paid by a treatment center sending you a free plane ticket to come down to florida so you'll type in google rehab near me and for a while google will just sell those keywords to the highest bidder and rehab near me if you live in seattle will come up to a rehab in delray beach florida because that's who bought the keywords okay we convened a grand jury that called out Google for this practice, and they've changed their marketing practice. And now they vet the advertisers through a third party. So um, you have this marketer that sends someone a free plane ticket to come down to Florida. That's illegal because that's an illegal gift. That's part of patient brokering. And you get this free one-way ticket to sunny South Florida, and you're told you're going to go to like Heavenly Valley Recovery. Mind you, there are are no valleys that I know of in Florida and where you're going ain't heavenly. So you come down here under false pretenses. You get the free plane ticket. You go to a detox center or inpatient rehab that the marketer sends you to because that marketer gets a kickback. That's also illegal. Your insurance covers it. You go through detox and inpatient care. Then that insurance runs out. And then you go to outpatient care. And while you're in outpatient care, you're in a sober home. Now, sometimes you go straight to the sober home and then they send you to places, again, illegal patient brokering when there's money changing hands. But in this model of relapse, you have everyone getting a kickback. The marketer gets a kickback. The inpatient center gets the patient who gets a charge insurance. The detox center gets the patient. The outpatient center gets a patient. They kick back money to the marketer. The lab, which tests your urine, they get the ability to charge insurance for the urine. The marker gets a kickback or maybe the outpatient center gets a kickback from the lab who referred them. The sober home gets kickbacks for sending their residents to all these places. And oftentimes you have a willing victim. The victim here, the person in recovery is someone who is battling the brain disease of addiction. And so when they're offered free stuff and in some cases, free drugs, To relapse, they're going to take it. It's hard enough to remain sober as it is, let alone though, knowing that your sobriety is going to cost you your free stuff, your free housing, your free scooter. They give you to get around and you have to move out of your co-ed sober home in sunny South Florida and move back in with your parents living in a snowy climate and get a job or you can test dirty again. And the cycle begins anew.
1: So it's just a merry-go-round like, Oh, Insurance
2: runs out. Oh, relapse. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is pretty normal for a marketer to pick up the patient that that marketer sends to these places after the patient's insurance runs out. After the outpatient coverage is over, they pick them up outside the outpatient center or the sober home and drives them to a seedy motel, gives them money or drugs or both to go on a bender for the weekend and gets them right back into recovery, back into inpatient treatment and detox. And the federal government allows this to continue because they refuse to turn off the spigot at the federal level. So we at the local level have to fight this fight with one hand tied behind our backs until our federal partners do something significant about this. And so far, they haven't. And I don't think it's malicious. I just think it's ignorance. It's that they have other things to do. And it takes time to understand this problem. You now know more than most members of Congress about what's going on.
0: So there are for-profit centers, these rehabs. I I think that's kind of the crux of it, right? They're for-profit. They're not non-profit. Is that correct?
2: That's right. And the drug treatment industry has been decentralized. It has no one set standard of care. And it has been largely privatized. It used to be where you'd go to drug treatment and be public beds, But those are hard to find these days. And there's been some good part to the privatization of drug treatment. There's there are a lot more beds out there, a lot more available treatment to people. And then there's the bad side. We have a lot more fraud. We don't see any fraud at the public level. The few public beds that are available, we don't see this fraud. We see this fraud pretty much exclusively at the private level. And we're trying to clean it up. And we've cleaned it up largely in Palm Beach County And so now our treatment centers, I think, are, again, some of the best in the country. But this problem is spread throughout the country and in other places where they don't have sober homes task forces. They're not aware of this problem until it's too late.
0: Dave, I have a question for you. Do do you see the insurance companies stepping in and putting a cap on some of these benefits as a way to stop this practice?
2: The insurance companies can't do a limitation like that because that would run afoul the Affordable Care Act. They're also scared in some cases of turning down claims from some of these providers because they don't want to get sued. Mm -hmm. Plus, insurance companies are subject to the 80-20 rule of the Affordable Care Act. And that's the rule, well-intentioned, just like the Affordable Care Act is, that says that insurance companies must return 80% of premiums to the policyholders in the form of benefits. They can only keep 20% of the premiums as profits. Well, that is a good pro consumer, pro policyholder measure except when it comes to the Florida shuffle, it incentivizes insurance companies to continue paying out fraudulent claims because the more they pay out, the more they get to keep in profits. The more the 80% side of the pie expands, the more their 20% side of the pie expands as well. So the incentive for insurance companies to crack down on fraud, to be the first line of defense, isn't really there. And so when we have our Sober Homes Task Force meetings, it's so frustrating to us that insurance companies rarely, if ever, show up to the meetings. And they just keep paying claims. Now, they're better now than they used to be. At the beginning, they just paid everything. They were caught asleep at the wheel because they had no experience, really, in paying out claims for drug treatment. Remember, drug treatment wasn't required until you had the new federal laws that forced insurance companies to cover it. And they just started paying it. But now they're a little more sophisticated. And their fraud departments know that when they get the same, you know, urinalyses from the same providers over and over again for the same patient that maybe there's fraud there. But it took them a while to come up to speed. And to this day, they're not where they need to be. I don't
0: know if you guys know about I mean, is the Baker, the Baker Act, and I don't know if that's national or just Florida, does that have any contributing factor like pro or negative in this at all?
2: The Baker Act doesn't really have an impact on it. That's a way to compel someone to go to mental health treatment. Uh, the Marchman Act is really for people with drug addiction. okay, And okay. that can be used, but that's not really part of the fraud. The fraud is just people who have insurance and they voluntarily enter into treatment. And they get exploited while they're there. And many times they're willing victims because they're getting free stuff out of it. Right. And, you know, they have a brain disease. And so instead of combating the brain disease, these rogue providers, and they are rogue providers, it's not all the providers. We depended on good providers to help us pass new laws and crack down on the bad ones. But the rogue providers, you know, keep encouraging relapse and make things worse for people at the lowest stages of their lives. I
0: was in a treatment center in a sober home, so I, I was in the midst of a lot of this. It was crazy. because All the doctors were writing themselves prescriptions, and everybody in there with me was like a doctor. <laughs> well,
2: yeah, that's a different issue where you have doctors who could be addicts themselves, and they have the power to write scripts. So, yeah, that's, that's an issue, but that's not really what the Sober Homes Task Force is focused on. We're focused on the greed that perpetuates this Cycle of relapse instead of recovery, right?
1: That's what Rob always talk about is the greed. greed brings that up.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always a pattern to the greed.
1: What are you working on now, Dave? Obviously, you're passionate about everything that you're working on, but like, what are you most excited about that you're working on right now?
2: Well, we've just talked about it. The sober homes task force has been my top priority in this office because I've spent much of my career fighting the opioid epidemic, and the opioid epidemic has morphed over the years. I was the first in the country when I worked for the Florida Attorney General's Office to investigate Purdue Pharma, the maker of OxyContin for their marketing practices. That was back in the year, I think, 2001. And since then, uh, you know, after that, I was a state senator and trying to crack down on the pill mills. So you had an OxyContin crisis that turned into the generic OxyCodone crisis. That's OxyContin without the time-release coating. And that was the subject of all these Uh, pills sold at all these pain clinics around the state and the country, but mainly in Florida. And then from there, after we cracked down on the pill mills and I helped shut them down as a drug czar for Florida through the attorney general's office, I knew that the crackdown on oxycodone pills would lead to a heroin epidemic because they act as the same thing in your brain. They're equivalents to each other. But when you make oxycodone and oxycodone harder to get Well, then people move to a cheaper, more accessible alternative, heroin. And this isn't your father's heroin anymore. This is heroin's often spiked with cheap, potent fentanyl from China or carfentanyl, which is even worse. So now 95% of the deaths that we see from the opioid epidemic here in Palm Beach County involve fentanyl. So the opioid epidemic is a fentanyl epidemic and you can't keep fighting the last war. You got to keep staying on top of the trends. And when you combine the lockdowns and social isolation from the pandemic, it made things worse. People found it harder to get counseling, group treatment, face-to-face treatment. And so you had people dying at greater numbers. After we made a real dent in this epidemic in 2018, we've seen our numbers since then tick up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Talk to us about Miss Cleo. I grew up on Miss Cleo. Like I would always see her on the TV. Did it, Rob or Andrew? Are you familiar with Miss Cleo? Vaguely, but I did a little homework on her. Yeah.
2: Miss Cleo used to say, Call me now. Call me now. I'll give you a reading. Hey. <laughs> she was a J- Jamaican Shango shaman late night psychic who was neither Jamaican nor a Shango shaman psychic. This was a character. She's the place. She was born in Los Angeles and she was hired by Psychic Readers Network as Miss Cleo. Which was a character she created. Although she lived the gimmick, as they say in pro wrestling, she lived the gimmick. She, uh, when I uh, deposed her, when I went after Psychic Readers Network and Miss Cleo for deceptively operating a, a business that took money from people believing that they were calling psychics and instead were just calling telemarketers who were getting paid by the minute to keep you on the phone. And if you didn't keep someone on the phone for at least twenty minutes at four ninety nine a minute, mind you. Then you'd get docked. And so this was a big scam. And on their ads, they would put, call us. We're for real. We're for real. Then in little letter, letters at the bottom of the screen, it would be, for entertainment only. Like, what does that mean? And so in big letters, we're like, we're real. And the bottom letters, no, we're really not. Even though it didn't say we're not real, but entertainment only. That's the way they try to justify the fact that when they hired people, they hired People to be telemarketers, not to be psychics, because I didn't want to get into what is a psychic? Is it really? Is she really a psychic? You can't really prove that. Right. So instead, it was like, well, you're not even asking people if they have psychic ability when you hire them. And in fact, in New York, this same business hired welfare to work people, people who were being paid by the state of New York, subsidized by the state of New York to transition from welfare to work. And so taxpayers were funding this scam in part. And uh, I listened to some of these calls and they would give such sage psychic advice as make sure you drink six to eight glass of water every day. So, all right. So I helped shut them down. Uh, the FTC came in and they were amazing. And they uh, they really laid the hammer down. When the feds come in while you're in the middle of a case, that's a good thing. And so Psychic Readers Network is no more. Miss Cleo, we dropped her from the case after we... We're given enough evidence by her and, and the company that she was just hired as a spokesperson. She didn't get a cut of the profits. And uh, the the whole industry is pretty much no more. You know, the psychic industry is still there, but not the whole call me now and talk to some phony psychic on the other end of the phone.
1: Have any of you gotten a psychic reading before?
2: <laughs> I've been to uh, law firm parties i remember this where they have a psychic and they would get it all wrong they'd read my palm and say super general things like like well i see that you're very successful i'm like well you're at a law firm party and you're a lawyer i'm like yeah it's a law firm party and how do you know i'm successful just because i'm at a law firm party uh but they would say things like that and uh and and then they would get stuff terribly wrong like you know i see that you like to be on the water. No, no. Uh, the worst is when I took. I, I was at a uh, an event for Cookie, my beloved Basset Hound. They had this, you know, festival, and as one of the things, they had a dog psychic there. So just so you know, I didn't pay for a dog psychic, but they had it in there, and so I brought Cookie. I said, "Okay, tell me," and everything they said was wrong. I mean, everything they said. Didn't feel the need to prosecute
0: prosecute them.
2: Yeah, it's a soft science. It's hard to like pro- <laughs> prosecute for fraud, and they didn't take my money, thankfully. Uh, But, yeah, you know, when you go after these types of scams, you always work with legitimate players in the industry. So I met all these people who held themselves out to be legitimate psychics. And the government of Jamaica even called us to say, this person, this Miss Cleo, is not from our country. (laughs) Nice. Jamaica doesn't want her either. Dave, any new themes,
0: anything you're seeing out there that's kind of on the horizon that people aren't aware of yet? Anything we should be watchful of?
2: Just know that. Fentanyl is where the opiate epidemic is. Fentanyl is spiked in so many different drugs, marijuana even, Mm -hmm. cocaine. So people don't even know they're getting it and you can get a hit of fentanyl and it will will kill you. I mean, not always, but it has a much higher death rate than heroin and other drugs. So it could be in anything. So people are not seeing it. They're not understanding it. And if they have Narcan around to help them and people should always have Narcan around if they're in, in any risks of... Of being around people who, who take drugs, Narcan is a life saving antidote. But even Narcan can't always reverse a fentanyl overdose because fentanyl is so powerful. So um, I guess my advice is to be wary of the drug fentanyl. If you're taking other recreational drugs, first stop. But if you can't stop, uh, try to make sure there's, there's Narcan around at all times to reverse the overdose, especially if fentanyl gets in your drugs. I mean, we have a syringe exchange program in Palm Beach County that's been authorized, and I believe in harm reduction and uh, getting people help and knowing that abstinence only, the 12-step program, helps for alcohol, maybe some other drugs. But when it comes to opioids, you need to fight fire with fire. You need to get medication-assisted treatment, get into Vivitrol or uh, buprenorphine suboxone. There are drugs out there to help you get off the stuff and break that cycle of addiction. And, uh, you know, we want to help. This is not about locking up everyone who's an addict. This is about trying to get them off of uh, this this poison and get them help. We want to arrest and prosecute the drug dealers, the businessmen who exploit these people who have the brain disease of addiction. And for those who have substance use disorder, we want to get them into ethical rehabilitation. That's why we're cleaning up the industry day by day.
0: Where is this coming from? You said China before. I mean, South America. Where are they sourcing the fentanyl?
2: Fentanyl is coming from China. It is manufactured in China and shipped over either through U.S. Postal Service or through private carriers. But mostly, it's been through the U.S. Postal Service, and it's also transported through the Mexican border, through the southern border, uh, through some of the drug uh, dealers who are involved in all sorts of drugs. So we have that. Excuse me, the drug, the drug smugglers. Then it gets to the drug dealers. And oftentimes the drug dealer doesn't even know that their stuff has been spiked with fentanyl and the drug user may not know it either until it's too late.
0: Can you like, you know, obviously it's getting there and then can you drive on this stuff? Like, is that, or is that like, I mean, probably not like, is that
2: considered a DUI? Fentanyl would be a substance that it, it, well, if you're on drugs and you're driving, you can get busted for DUI. DUI is not just about alcohol. But alcohol is the easiest one to test for. To get a uh, solid test for marijuana and other drugs, you need a, a blood test, and you can only require a blood test if you've been in an accident that has a serious bodily injury or death. There are some attempts to try to get a different types of tests for marijuana where it doesn't involve a blood test. You know, If there's some sort of breathalyzer for marijuana, there's work, uh, some work on that, but it's it's not where it needs to be. And so that's the danger of driving while high is that it's hard to test someone unless there's been a terrible accident. By that point, obviously, the tragedy has already occurred. Mm-hmm. Fentanyl can greatly impair you while you're driving. And yeah, you would be prosecuted for DUI and worse if there's a, a death or some serious bodily injury that occurs. But you know you got to look at it from the beginning. How do we stop fentanyl from getting to people in the streets? Well, you got to make it harder for the manufacturers in china to ship the product well crack down on china work with the chinese government to stop this they could stop it they're communists they have the ability to stop this mm-hmm. they just refuse to really do enough on it and then you can have uh well, we have these laws now that require the u.s postal service to know their customer to disclose this information uh, but what we found is that instead of just sending over fentanyl they send over from china the compounds that you need, the the actual chemicals that you need to put it together in the United States or wherever to manufacture fentanyl. So, you know, we're always chasing, you know, the latest trend.
0: So you're in Palm Beach. That's like, you know, the wealthiest county probably in the country and, you know, modernized everything's, you know, cutting edge down there. I don't think we quite see fentanyl up in the Jacksonville area. Maybe we do. Oh, well, yeah. It's, um, oh, it's everywhere. everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere man. We just don't know about it. But, you know, did you have any involvement with like Robert Kraft or Tiger Woods or Jeffrey Epstein? I know you've been at that post for
2: how many years now? Six or eight? I have been here since 2013. I was elected in 2012. Okay. Did you have involvement on it? You got any fun stories you can share about that? Well, we did prosecute both Robert Kraft and Tiger Woods. Okay, The latter was a successful uh, story because you had Tiger Woods who took responsibility for his actions. Mm -hmm. You have him plead guilty to reckless driving as part of our first-time DUI offender program. He qualified for the program. He owned up to it. He did all he needed to do for the program, which is a rigorous program. And then afterwards, he turned his life around and, and won the Masters. And I do think that our program had something to do with it, Because, you know, he was in that uh, downward spiral and then hit rock bottom and then bounced back, took ownership, and I give him a lot of credit. And I hope he has a full recovery from this latest setback. Uh, As far as Robert Kraft, well, his lawyers found that the uh, police who installed the hidden cameras as part of their investigation did not minimize the recordings, meaning that when people were going in to get legitimate massages, and there were only about four people who got legitimate massages out of the many who were recorded getting illicit massages. And although the recordings were legal for all the people getting illegal massages, the recordings should have been stopped, according to the judge, the judges, when people were getting non-sexual massages. And because the recordings were not stopped, the court suppressed the videos, and without the videos, we were forced to drop the case. Yeah, nothing on Epstein at all. Uh, Epstein happened years before I got here, so uh, I didn't do any work on that case. Uh, it was six years before I got here, and uh, there were th- it was three different administrations ago. So
1: well, Dave, thanks for your time, man. Thanks for coming on Crimes and Dimes. It was a lot of fun. It was nice to actually like meet someone that represents our country and the state of Florida, which is one of the best states in my opinion, because I've always lived here. Rob lives in Georgia, but well, you know, it's close. Close enough.
2: Hey, yeah, no, Georgia's a great place, but you know, I'm partial to Florida. That's my home and born and raised here. And no, thanks for having me on the podcast, guys.
0: Dave, thank you.
2: Thanks, Dave. Good to see you guys. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Crimes and Dimes podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time. And remember, don't get caught fishing.